0: Hi, I'm Jen Sherlock, and welcome to my lifestyle podcast, Live Without a Net. The podcast showcases people who live fearlessly and have the ambition to create something. I'll showcase changemakers who have decided to let go of their safety net in order to survive. So let's jump right in. Hi, I'm Jen Sherlock. Welcome to Live Without a Net. And I have an amazing guest here today. His name is Chase Lempest. He's the founder of the H. Chase Lempest Foundation and North 10th, and he's also a serial entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Chase.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited. This has been a long time coming, and you're well-known in Philadelphia. You're a huge philanthropist, and I mean, I don't know anyone that doesn't know who you are or the you know, great things you've done for the city. So I just want to talk about, you know, where your drive came from. I'd love to know how you were as a, a child growing up with your family and kind of just take it from there.
1: Well, my, uh, father, um, was a lawyer. He went to Columbia law school. I was born in New York, but only lived there for six months. And, um, my mother grew up in a row house in Philadelphia in West Oak Lane went to girls high. They came back uh, to the Philadelphia area to Huntington Valley. When I was two bought a little, uh, 2,200 square foot home for 35,000, a little three bedroom that, uh, I lived in uh, until I was 18. And, uh, my dad at 87 years old died three years ago. My mom just sold the house a year ago. So that was their primary residence, even though my father, uh, became very successful and actually became a billionaire in cable television they still lived in the same house most of the time they had a place of written square as well uh, but very old-fashioned and very unassuming people um, and I went to Upper Moreland High School which uh, I enjoyed and played uh squash at Huntington Valley Country Club. We became a member and I learned to play squash there, which helped me to get into Yale University where I played on their team. Um, No one in my high school had ever gone to Yale, Harvard, or Princeton before. And uh, I tell people I had an English SAT of 400 and went to Yale. And they're like, well, how could that happen? But I did get the Barron's book. You know, my kids get tutors, but I got like the 500 page Barron's book and memorized 3,000 English vocabulary words, and raised my English from 400 to 540 to 640, and math 630, 680, 710. So I went from a 1030 to 1220 to 1350. And because I got recruited for squash, it helped me to get in. Um, but I also played baseball, I played soccer, and really enjoyed Upper Moreland. Um, you know, now I live Gladwin in Center City. The main line's a whole different world. Um, I wouldn't change anything the way I grew up. And it's kind of crazy because what I want my kids to go to Upper Moreland, I don't think so because, you know, my daughter went Baldwin and Penn Charter. And my son Episcopal and Penn Charter and Harriton. And Harriton's much higher rated than Upper Moreland. But we are who we are because of where we came from and what kind of childhood we had. And um, I think I have a little more grit Um You know, then I won't say my children because I'll tell you to strike that. But, But, you know, most of the kids that grow up in the main line, you know, it's a little different. You know, now you give a trophy for swinging at a pitch, you know, and getting within a foot of it. You know, so it's a little different world. But when I grew up, I had to rake the leaves and shovel the driveway and mow the lawn and, you know, clean out the dishes and take the trash up, you know, the basic stuff know now you know if I told my I pay 65 grand a year for landscaping so I mean am I going to have my son out there you know uh mowing four acres you know it's, it's a different world but I as a father I take a lot of pride in trying to be the best father I can be I read a lot of books on it um but I should have instilled more work kind of habits getting a job you know with my kids but there's you know the main line there's oh well you got this lesson and that lesson and They're running around doing different things. How can they get a job? But, you know, learning to make money and living off the money that you're making as a child, I think, is a long way. So I've learned along the way. i learned the way I think it should be, and then I didn't implement some of that with my kids. But I have two great kids, so... um, But you you learn, you know. And unless you have kids again when you get older, you know, it's too late. But I think overall I've done a pretty good job.
0: I think so, too. You mentioned... Grit, you have grit. It's, I love that word. I think a lot of athletes have it, CEOs, founders like yourself. And I do personally believe that it is something that you're taught by your parents. Like it seems that you were, they were very unassuming and hard workers and lived in their original family house. Um, what do you think it is which, between the generations? I always think about that because I hire a lot of millennials and as interns and workers, and I, I agree with you. They, they all are entitled, and I wonder where it comes from. Is it just a new generation? Or are they taught that at school? Do you think it's the parents?
1: That's a, that's a good question. So I know that my kids' experience in the main line and going to schools like Penn Charter, Baldwin, Episcopal, it's a lot different than when I was in school at Primorland. I don't know how much is the difference in you know, an average Public school, as far as academics versus the time we're in, I think it's more the time we're in. Um, I think is is different more than uh, the middle class kind of uh, public school versus more wealthier area. But you know, my father grew up on a farm. Um, all about he was always about hard work um he would grab my hands when i was younger and say where your cows is you don't know what hard work is i bet your mother still wipes your ass so (laughs) now his mom died when he was 13 and i recall him doing this around when i was 13 i think he was a little jealous that we had a really nice mother you know my brother's sister and i but with him it's about hard work he worked on an oil rig in the summer he worked as a deckhand a farm deckhand he um you know became captain of a ship in the navy it's all about work and my mom, uh, you know, they, they had three kids and my mom worked pretty much full time and and had to have the food ready for my dad. And, you know, when he'd come home and, you know, they they, they worked. My dad, when he sold his cable business and in the year 2000 at Comcast, um, he decided he was seven years old, He's going to give all of his money away before he dies. And when we grew up, he didn't have money, but he became a billionaire and he gave like 95% of it away before he died. And he worked. I mean, even when I'm in the, the hospital a month before he died um, and he had heart problems and leukemia and is on dialysis, he's answering the phone. His phone will ring. I never spent a lot of time with my father, like one-on-one in my life, but I'm there seeing him as he's, you know, I didn't know he's going to die in a month, but the phone will ring and, and I'll pick it up and say, because he's lying in the bed and. And I'll say, it doesn't say who it is. And he answers the phone anyway, because he just feels an obligation to give back. I think he should have taken a little more time to do other personal things, you know, To and, but he enjoyed just making the money and then the responsibility of giving it away, he said was even harder. I mean, you know, if you have all this money and you want to give it all away, then you want to make sure that you give it away the most intelligent way possible. But what was the point of making it all? So,
0: Yeah, I think I was at a, a gala where he was honored. If, gosh, it was probably 10 years ago now. Um, it was at the Four Seasons. I think it was called, was it Dining in the Dark? Were you there by any chance?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's amazing to think that he he was one of the first pioneers maybe of cable television. Can we call him that?
1: Yeah, he started in the mid-70s. I mean, originally started in the late 50s, but when he started, there was no HBO or CNN. It was just to get the signal of ABC and NBC and CBS to people that lived, say, in areas and valleys where you had mountains that you couldn't get the signal there because you couldn't see it from the towers. Um, So he went from uh, a lawyer... Um, and then he was working for davis Polk Wardell, was a big firm in New York. and Walter Annenberg, um, who was a billionaire that owned cable TV systems and 17 Magazine and Daily Horse Racing Magazine and radio and television stations, thought my dad was a good lawyer and had his company, Triangle Publications, hired my dad to be a lawyer for, for, for Annenberg. You know, my dad was second in command as a lawyer, but then they saw he was very good in business and they made him the publisher of Seventeen Magazine, which I joked that I was probably one or two years old. It would have been cool if I was 17 <laughs> right. and had a different type of dad that would let me, you know, hang out with, uh, you know, the people in the magazine, which some <laughs> three would not have. Yeah. Um, but then they saw that he was, you know, so good in business with Seventeen Magazine, they put him in charge of two cable companies. And then when Triangle Publications, Annenberg, decided to sell those cable companies, my father said he wanted to buy. And Annenberg said, I love you, Jerry, and I'd love to sell you the cable system. The problem is you don't have any money. So he got two Pennsylvania Dutch uh, bankers to lend him the money. And the night before the closing, uh, the two bankers were with their wives and my dad and my mom. And they said, Jerry, we're really sorry, but this cable television thing is just too risky. And we can't do it. And my dad was going to close the next day. The deal was going to close. And my, uh, their wives got their husbands. They said, We got to talk to you. And they took them upstairs. I guess they didn't know. And they came back downstairs, and the wives talked the husbands into letting him the money because they said, It's not fair. You know, you can't tell him the night before he's going to close. So he said he would double their money in five years, which he did and paid them off. And then he just grew and worked really hard. And, Kept working. I mean, when I grew up, his office was the ping pong table we had in our little damp basement that would always get flooded. We'd always have to sweep, sweep out the water when every time it rained hard. But I was getting really good into ping pong. And then that became stacks and stacks of papers. And then he started the cable in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. And he would drive like the hour and 45 minutes there. He'd sleep on the couch a couple of days a week. And he just worked and worked and worked. Um, he was a a real role model. And I'm the one, um, I'm the only family member that spoke at his, um, what's it called? When, when, he, well, it wasn't his funeral, but it was like a you know, a month later.
0: Right. Like a celebration of life.
1: Yeah. There's a term for it, which I'm throwing a blank. Cause I'm not used to doing a lot of podcasts. So I'm a tiny bit nervous, but. Anyway, I spoke there I said all going things about him. And and it's true. He worked really hard. He really wanted to help people. He empowered people. But he was the old fashioned type of a father. I only had two meals with him. Just he and I, both in the last 10 years, he was alive um, that I set up, you know, but he, he worked and he worked and he worked. And that was what he did. My mom. Um is I saw my mom today at Rittenhouse. Um, She's two weeks at Rittenhouse. She's 88, two weeks at a retirement home. And um, she's on the um, Pennsylvania Academy Fine Arts Board, the Temple Board, Woodmere. Um, She's on my brother and sister's foundation boards. You know, so she's still working, you know, just like my father. Um, but she wants to come off these boards because it's a little too much for her, but she's, she's a workaholic too. Um, You know, some, some people are, they work too much, but people say my father wouldn't know what else to do with his time. I thought he should, one of the lunch meetings I had with him, said, dad, why don't you write down like five books you want to read that you haven't read and five books you read before you want to read again and five friends you haven't seen for years you want to see. And, some restaurants or places you want to go to because it's true if he took off a couple mornings and had no plan of what he's going to do he wouldn't know what to do he'd be fidgety he'd be a pain he has to be around but if he had a plan I think he would get into that and would have had some more free time but if he did or spent more time with me then he wouldn't have accomplished so much for you know thousands or hundreds of thousands of people so I don't I don't regret anything I'm glad he did what he did and it was the best for you know, for the people in this world.
0: Right. It's probably helps you with work-life balance as well, just coming from that world. And for you, you, like you've even said it, you wanted him to enjoy connection, relationships, people, maybe restaurants or travel. And at least that's something that you've incorporated into your life and your family.
1: Yeah. I, I, I have more leisure time than he does, but, um, than he did. But, um, I do work pretty hard and, and, and I have, I have different businesses. Some of my businesses, I have great people running them. And the ones that do not great people running them, it's not that people aren't great, but they're not great at running a business. So I get involved, but my father was, I'm the same way as my father. If you have someone really good, give them a long leash, you know, delegate to them, let them do their thing. So I don't I don't have an ego where I want to get involved in some businesses I'm involved in just so I get my voice heard. If I'm not going to help the business, then I should let them do their thing. Sometimes I have to get involved, but my desire is to get smart people and back them. Um, But, you know, I'm getting older and I'm thinking, okay, how much longer do I want to run businesses and do private equity and. You know, and, and own apartment buildings, none of which I've ever seen. So I can get, make more money, which is, I've always been an entrepreneur. Ever since I was a kid, I collected baseball cards and sold them and sold firecrackers. And I got suspended in ninth grade. I walked into Upper Moron with a grocery bag with fives and ones and change in it with Roman candles, bottle rockets, and firecrackers. I mean, this was before 9-11, of course, way before so I didn't think it was a big deal. And the principal was waiting for me. Come in, Chase. Uh, come to my office. Uh, what's in the bag? Nothing. Can I see? At that point, I couldn't run away with it. So, um, But I was always an entrepreneur. I sold burgo arms, stickers door-to-door, Christmas cards door-to-door. Um, so it's, it's a different world. But what am I going to do with the money? So if I have this much and I turn into that much, it either goes to my kids and future generations or I give it more to charity. I mean, I don't need money to buy a car that I wish I had, you know, so it's not so I can, I don't need a boat. I don't need a plane. I have a couple nice homes and I have a couple nice cars. I don't wear jewelry. I don't wear watches. I don't have vases or paintings worth any money. You know, I have the tennis court and the pool and the movie room and the gym and the ping pong, you know, and the zip line and the veggie garden and, you know, stuff that you can use, but.
0: Yeah. That sounds nice. Yeah so. <laughs> I'm kidding. yeah, so you like the more simple things, the enjoyable things in life, not so much. You don't need all the flash.
1: Yeah, I don't feel better because I'm my own worst critic. So people say you have this foundation in North Philly and you go and you spend time with the kids and you're so nice. Well, if I want to get there at least once a week and I miss two weeks, you know, I'm upset at myself. It's nice when people say something like that, but it, it doesn't really do anything for me. You know, oh, you have a beautiful balcony, which I showed you before we started. You know, the beautiful... And people say, oh, this is amazing view. Well, I think it is, but I didn't create it. You know, I guess because I, guess I bought a place with amazing view, it's somewhat of a compliment. But, you know, if you have a nice car and someone says, oh, really nice car. Well, if you build it yourself... or it's something unusual, you know, it's different than you you have money. And, you know, you do stuff for charity and people say it's so nice you do it. What else am I going to do? What am I going to do with the money, hoard it? I mean, buy myself uh, expensive watches for what? I mean, I don't need it.
0: Yeah, I've heard that the two things that make people the happiest are giving and growing. And ever since I've known you, you've always had an inner city youth like top of mind, and we're always involved in those type of charities. So that must mean that giving and giving back to these inner-city youth makes you feel good, makes you feel empowered, and that's more of what life's about in terms of true internal happiness.
1: Yeah, I made a comment before uh, once. Um, I don't do a lot of speeches, but I uh, was on the police athletically board, and when I op- opened up the UNFest Center, originally the first floor was POW. And I said, I don't do what I do because I'm unselfish. I do what I do because I'm selfish, because I enjoy it. If I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't do it. It's as simple as that. So uh, it is nice to give. And, and it's not fair that the kids in North Philly and other places don't have the opportunities that I had. And I grew up middle class, but, you know, that most of them don't have fathers around. Um, there's just so much trying to pull them down. I mean, take a kid in North Philly that works at McDonald's and everyone laughing at him and the drug dealers that are his peers, his age group that are showing the flash in the hundreds and their gold chains and they got the pretty girl and maybe they have a car if they're 16 and they got the new sneakers and he's going, you know, in his McDonald's uniform and getting laughed at. Well, if you don't have a dad at home and a strong structure of home and say your mom's wonderful, but she's working two jobs. You know, and let's say you don't have enough food at home or you get bullied on the way to school and then you don't have your don't do well on a test. And then the teacher is down on you. You know, I can't imagine the resilience they have, the grit that they have to uh, to stay positive. I mean, I see a kid, I don't go to McDonald's much anymore, but, you know, if I stop in a corner store in North Philly and you see a kid working there, I'm really, really nice and give a tip because, you know, it must be. Hard just to have that kind of a job when there's so many easier ways to make money. they don't have the they have the potential but they don't have the path that's much more straightforward like that I had. Um, so I have a lot of respect for these kids and um, and I think they have it hard and I don't think it's fair so
0: yeah, and I also like the you use the word resiliency because I think that that is the true like test of someone's character especially those inner city youths. I mean, and today in the city, the crime is up. So I'm sure it's, it's harder than ever to, you know, to make something of yourself.
1: Yeah, the murder rate's gone up so much. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's not the police. You know, the whole thing with the Floyd thing, I think, you know, didn't help um, defund the police. I mean, the police officers have a hell of a job to do. It sucks that the bad ones get their jobs back. And they just had a front page article in the Inquirer where it's like double the amount of uh, cops that are off work and getting paid. And some of them have other jobs, but they claim they have a disability. I mean, it sucks the bad ones get to play these games because the FOP. But you, you do need police, but they can't help. I mean, we're the... We have the highest murder rate of the 10 biggest cities in the country. Chicago has the most murders. We have more murders in New York. We're one-fifth the population. We're 1.6, 38 billion. But we're the poorest and the least educated. If you're less educated, percentage-wise, of a population, you're going to be poor. And if you're poor, there's going to be more crime. So it's not necessarily Philadelphia people more violent. You know, if it's just go around the city. I mean, you know, most of north and west and southwest and parts of south. You know, it's poor. I mean, that's why we have the crime. Um, but it's gone up a lot, so it's even harder. You know, kids have a dispute. And they want to be tough, and you know, next thing you know, they they're shooting. And there's, you know, I'm part Republican, part Democrat, but. Certainly, I don't think we should have all these guns. I made a mistake on Facebook like five years ago, I went to Eastern Europe. I'd never been to like Poland. I went to Auschwitz and went to uh, eight different countries in like 18 days. And, and you would see like beautiful woman walking down the street at midnight, and they're not worried about getting a gun pulled on them. And I went with uh, 52 people. Probably 46 of them were in their 70s and 80s and married, and I was single at the time. So I was having a little fun when I was out there. But, you know, you go to a church, and then you have this other thing to go to, and I would just want to get in a taxi sometimes, say, take me to your ghetto. I want to see other people live. There aren't any. You know, I'm not socialist, although some of the socialist aspects, I think, are... You know, health care for everyone. You know, I don't know where you draw the line. So I'm not an expert on that. But they just don't have the guns. We have the highest murder rate in the world for a wealthy country. And uh, when I'm in Gladwin and I have to go to West Contra and to go to Wawa, I'm not worried about getting stuck up by someone. You know, I have a place in Center City. I do like walking around, you know, Center City. And with COVID, it seemed like zombie, you know, a year ago. And I, I feel fine, but it's not fair for kids in North Philly and South Philly and West Philly and Southwest Philly. To, if they go to a store at night, you know, they're worried about getting, uh, you know, stuck up or robbed. And um, that's not fair.
0: No, and I know,
1: hope- wonder why they can't have think about, you know, school. Sometimes if you get bullied on the way. You can't go to the store. You see all this mayhem around where you are. And we expect why aren't they doing better? Well, people that say that let them live there for one week and see what the, how fast they'll change their mind.
0: Right. I agree. And I'm hoping that the pandemic is ending and hopefully as it ends or calms down, the violence changes because I'm sure police officers are scared to do their job. Now with the current carjackings, murders, shootings, robberies.
1: Well, even in places like ocean city, New Jersey and Avalon, you know, there's been newspaper articles. I spent two weeks in Ocean City last summer. My son is 17. He's on the boardwalk every night, you know, where a place was on the boardwalk. But you have like a thousand kids hanging out on the beach. Wasn't like that when I was younger. And, and the police can't do anything. I mean, there's all these new walls. You know, they can't just say, the kid looks drunk, let me search him. Uh, And then in Avalon, you know, there's been a lot of this in the paper where kids are just trashing stuff and the police can't do anything there either. You know, so I don't know where you draw the line and stop and frisk. You know, that's got racial aspects to it. But why are the police going to go out there and take a gamble um, when there's so much scrutiny on them? Mm -hmm. So if I'm a police officer, I wouldn't be surprised if I you know, was like, F it, you know, I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sticking my neck out in certain
0: situations. I don't blame him either. Yeah, especially with what's going on. It's like, you can't win.
1: I mean, they just had a recent thing. I think it's Minnesota where a police officer killed a kid. It was a no-knock warrant. And the, and the kid was not the one that they had the warrant for. I think it's his brother. Some things just happen sometimes. There's no one wrong is the police officer can't be wrong for firing the gun at at a kid who pulled a gun on the police officer. I mean, when can you shoot someone? Well, certainly if they point a gun at you. But whether they should have a no-knock warrant that got this whole thing started is a different thing because the kid maybe didn't hear it's the police and was asleep and just woke up. And grabs the gun because maybe thinks it's someone robbing an intruder. Yeah. You know, so it's a tragedy. I mean, it's sometimes it's the system, but.
0: I know. Well, let's hope that changes. And I think it's, you know, an honor that you're giving back to so many different charities, especially inner city youth to help change that. Is there anything that you really would like to do with your time in the next, say, five to 10 years?
1: Well, the project I'm doing in North Philadelphia is big. So I, I had the Lenfest Center built in 2008. And that's a couple blocks from 10th and Erie. And on the second floor, we have eight squash courts. Um, squash is sport I played growing up. It's now in 26 cities where they have it for inner city kids. Started in Boston, went to New York, and then Philly like 20 years ago. And I used to recruit kids like 35th and Fairmount, McMichael Middle School the area they call the bottom, and have these kids, and I would practice with them at Drexel. And then John Fry became the uh, president of Drexel and hired John White, former number one in the world in squash, and now they are one of the top uh, teams in the country. So I wanted a place where the kids could play because they didn't have as much space at Drexel anymore. So I, I built that, and I had the Police Athletic League on the first floor. Now that's run independently. What I realized is it's great to have an after-school center and it keeps kids off the street. And we have everything from poetry to double dutch to step class to basketball to music to homework to so many things there. But if the housing has fallen apart, if it's a food desert, if there's too much crime, if the school has no performance, all these things are negative And I'm doing one positive, but if I don't do all these other positives, what good is it? I mean, it's still good, but maybe I'm spending X and the result I'm getting back is 0.2X. You know, or I'm getting X result back, but if I spend 4X, 5X, maybe I get a 15X answer. So I started to uh, learn about like the Harlem Children's Zone. I went to New York and did a tour Went to Atlanta, purpose-built communities to find out how can you tackle all these issues without gentrifying a neighborhood, which is another whole issue. Because where I am in Hunting Park is not near anything that's gentrified, whereas in Philly it goes like Port, you know, Northern Liberties, Port Richmond. It kind of all attaches to each other. South of Washington goes into Point Breeze. Um, So I hired a guy, Josh Claris, who. Is brilliant. He has a PhD from Harvard. He works with all the community groups. And we decided to take the catchment area of Mary McLeod Bethune School, which is the school that has the highest percentage of kids that come to my center, come from the school. And the catchment area of that is basically 9th Street to Broad, from Allegheny to Luzerne. So we're trying to do all those things I mentioned within that area. First, uh, after the Lentfest Center, the next major project, two years ago, I bought the Liberty Motel. It was crack infested, um, selling drugs out of it, murders across Catacorner from the school. So asking 6th, 7th, 8th grade girls to do sex acts. Um, people shooting up heroin, you know, the kids are seeing it when they're walking to school. So I bought that and five other properties that are contiguous. Um, and I'm building 41 affordable homes there, and I have commercial space, and we're hopefully doing a deal with Dr. Stanford, the Black Doctors Consortium, and maybe with Temple to provide health services, and then I'm giving money to the Zion Baptist Church, which is on a big, they're in our catchment area also, Um, and we have a big strategic plan that's coming out. It's been a year in the making. Um, We don't want people to buy buildings within this area and then put things in there we don't want, and now we have to go out and raise money. I mean, before the board was me. now we have on North Tenth board. we have five other people. we have two African Americans, we have two women. Um, and uh, I want to create a community, even though it's poor as far as the economics, but this it'll be one of a kind, at least in Philadelphia, uh, maybe in the country where a non-gentrified community has pretty much everything that people in the suburbs in a nice suburb has, as far as the lack of crime and the housing and the food and the, and the good academics and the pre-K and all that. So if if I can get that accomplished, I will get it accomplished. But if, if it's as successful as I hope it will be, what I hope is it's a model of something that can be scaled elsewhere, you know, And maybe it's Chase Glenfest from Gladwin that supported this catchment area of this middle school, K-8 to school. Maybe uh, Pearlman or Middleton or sorry, Pearlman and Middleton, if you ever watch this podcast. (laughs) But maybe someone else will adopt, you know, the neighboring or in West Philly, you know, a a school, a catchment area of a school. And, and maybe if there's 30 or 40 of these, um, we transform the whole city. And then maybe it could be a model for other cities and maybe other countries. I don't know. But that, that would be the dream. Um, and, uh, and then with my businesses, I want to make a lot of money so I can give more out, have more power to give more out. At some point, you know, I don't want to work to my dad till 87 and, you know, probably the day before he died. Um, I'm sure I'll always be working, but I do want to see parts of the world. I've never been to Asia. I've been to Africa once to take my kids to train squash in Egypt, but, you know, I love to travel. I'd like to, uh, do more of that. And, uh, that's it, I guess.
0: You've done a lot. You're very accomplished. Is there anywhere like a website? If anyone's interested in your plans with all of the kind of creating that? To me, it just sounds like a almost, um, not a perfect world, but compared to what the inner cities are used to and some of the bad neighborhoods, it sounds sounds like a dream. So is there anywhere people can kind of peek into those plans?
1: Well, there's um, the North 10th website. I should be smart enough to know exactly how people look it up, but if they Google North 10th Hunting Park, I um, can read about that. I don't know if my foundation, H. Chase Glenfest, has much in it, but North 10th is all the plans we're trying to do for the neighborhood. Um, okay. There's a. I have a website, chaseglenfest.com, which I haven't looked at in a couple of years, and um, that has like my businesses that's supposed to be updated and some of my uh, stuff I do charity that includes North 10th, but some of the other things I do like JSU School and Pell and. Which is another issue also. So, you know, every year, someone that's involved in a lot of businesses can donate a certain amount of what they make to charity. People get it wrong and think rich people don't pay taxes. You know, maybe some businesses. But let's say someone makes uh, $10 million in a year. You can give 30% of that $3 million to charity. You still have to pay tax on the $7 million. So if you're in a 30% bracket, you're giving $3 million, but otherwise you would have had 2.1. So I'm growing another foundation, which I want to do things outside of Philly. And um, like you can save kids in Africa for like $7 for mosquito nets. You know, is it if I can save 100 kids in Africa for one here for the same money, you know, those kind of like big decisions. And there's some websites where people have, you know, gone and done a lot of research to make sure that the money in these certain charities goes to where they say it's going to go. Because you don't want to give money, you know, a charity in Haiti or Africa and the money just go, you know, is, is corrupt, you know. But there's some people that have got these great websites that really got deep into that. And that's kind of the a, a next generation thing I'd like to understand. And and I think I'm good with people. So my father was great that way. And he always got others to help. You know, he's always figuring out how to give his money away, but he would donate X amount and get people to match it. And, you know, I think if I could go out there and meet, um, you know, the Meek Mills and the Kevin Hart, like Kevin Hart grew up near my center. So I, and I know he's charitable. Um, but if I can start to connect myself With some wealthy people and some people that grew up in the inner city that are wealthy and have a lot of influence, then I, you know, can certainly uh, get exponential benefit instead of, you know, trying to do it myself.
0: And one last question. Do you think that there is a shortcut to hard work?
1: It's a good question. Nature versus nurture. You know, how, how much is who you are as you're born and how much is your environment? but um, I don't think there's a shortcut. I just think people find what they're passionate about and work really hard. I mean, even though I feel I work hard and I have a lot of grit, um, even someone that grows up with a lot of grit can lose it. You know, I, I need to start feeling comfortable to step out of my boundaries. Like I never jumped from a plane. I never bungee jumped. I mean, that's not like hard work stuff, but I've never cooked. I've never even cracked an egg. (laughs) I don't know how to cook. You know, now if I cook, I'm taking time away from my kids or working out or going to North Philly or working on charity stuff or business stuff to make money to help more charity. But um, I don't know art well. I mean, I admit I went to Yale. I don't, my father was chairman of the board of the art museum. My brother knows art well. I don't know art. I don't know how to cook. Um, So I would like to step outside what's become my kind of boundaries and uh, to learn other things.
0: Oh, I've done um, skydiving and bungee jumping years ago. It was in Australia, New Zealand. But um, in terms of skydiving, I thought that was, like I was on a high for days, but bungee jumping scared me more. I thought I was jumping to my death. <laughs> so if you ever do it, or I'll do it with you again. We just have to find a cool place.
1: Well, how about like you know someone who takes up salsa dancing?
0: Yes, I've always wanted to do that.
1: You know things like or learn squash. Like tomorrow, Saturday, I'm going to go up to New York and see my daughter. goes to Columbia University and goes ice skating. I haven't ice skated probably in, well, since she was a kid, I used to get on the ice to skate with her. But just getting into that kind of stuff, you know, people get so programmed and, you know, it's, they do it with the responses to people in their own lives. You know, all black people are like this or all poor people are like that. And, you know, this meditation book, I keep going back to and reading and reading and reading again, it's better not to know it's, it's it's a load off one's back, not having to be smart. Oh, I know the answer to this. I have a friend, I would say, I wonder who the 23rd president, you'd have an answer. Did he know the answer? No. Well, I thought it might have been. Well, I don't know. You know, and becoming a better listener is, is really, really important for 99% of people where you're not thinking of what you're going to say when someone's talking and already thinking of your answer you're not really listening. And uh, there's a lot of areas I want to improve. I have a health form I fill out every day. I came up with this. You know, how many calories did I have for the day? One is the least, zero if I fasted, which I don't do. But things like, how's the back feel? How much time did I waste watching sports, et cetera? Like everyone has a certain amount of free time. You sleep, you work, you shower, you have to go food shopping if you're the one that has to go food shopping. Then you have a certain amount of time left. What do you do with that time? Um, do you just watch TV, or do you do you work out? You read important books. Do you visit family? Do you organize stuff? You know, it's that book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where you have these quadrants. So a lot of people just do what's urgent. They just do that for years and years, and they never go visit their mother. They never get in better shape. They never write a, a book or. They never do the things that are important to them because there's always something urgent. So, you know, I like to watch UFC, watch the Sixers games, but you know, if I watch every Sixers game from beginning to end, I better not have very many other things I'm doing where I'm not accomplishing something because I wouldn't accomplish much. Mm -hmm. So picking and choosing when you have free time and how you use it, I think is so important.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I love people who are, who are on the path for personal growth. And it seems like that's something that you're evolving with over time.
1: Yeah. Like say tomorrow's my day to go up to North Philly, but I'm a little tired of working hard. I could just sit back and watch uh, Netflix, you know, but I know if I go hundred percent of the time I've gone, I'm so happy I did. Life should be simple. If you drink too much and wish you didn't, don't drink too much. If you eat too much or eat too much chocolate, cook cupcakes or cookies one day and you wish you didn't, don't do it. <laughs> okay. if, if you work out, you're always glad you did. If, if you go spend time with kids, you're always glad you did. Well, then don't skip it. You know, this should be very simple, but it's not quite that simple. But, um, you know, my goal is to improve and be better and better at that. So I'm doing what's valuable and, have less time to waste. I don't think I waste much time at all, but I waste more time than I wish I wasted.
0: Well, hopefully maybe one day we can all read your personal book on all you have accomplished, where you came from and maybe some tips that you have for all of us.
1: Well, thank you very much because, because my dad made money again, he didn't have money when I was growing up, but, um i've explained to people when people will say what do you do i have this business either you lie about it or you evade it you avoid it or you tell the truth and if you tell the truth oh it's so amazing you do this and you have this you have that well i was given money and i'm just i could just put it in the bank or put in stocks and not have businesses and not help people become successful themselves but it's a lot different than you know my father uh I think I'm doing a good job with what I've been given, but I can do a better job. And and my father is the one that created from the scratch. But, th- but thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much, Chase. It was a pleasure. I loved having you on this podcast. And if anyone wants to check you out, they can go to ChaseLemfest.com. Well, that's it for now. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Please reach out to me so I can feature you on my show. I do respond to everyone. You can find me on my Instagram at Jennifer Sherlock or my business Instagram at JennaCom. And check out our new website coming soon, livewithoutanet.com. Thanks again, and I look forward to taking risks with you.